0: Welcome to the Good News Ride Home for Thursday, June 18th, 2020. I'm Jackson Bird. Ahead of Juneteenth, a bit of background on its origins and the fight to make it a federal holiday. The inventor of the Segway has a plan to mass-produce human organs. The productivity life hack that lets you complain as much as you want, and the rickroll to end all rickrolls that happened just yesterday. Here is your daily dose of good news. Tomorrow is Juneteenth, which celebrates the day two and a half years after the Emancipation Proclamation was signed that enslaved people in Texas were finally informed of their freedom. While in some ways an enraging origin story, it's been celebrated as a day of independence, freedom, joy, and resistance by black Americans since the 1800s. Despite that, many non-black people are barely aware of its existence. That's changed this year, however. In large part in response to the wave of protests over the past few weeks, many major companies across the U.S. have declared Juneteenth a corporate holiday. Companies like Nike, Google, JPMorgan Chase, General Motors, Twitter, Uber, Lyft, and countless others are either giving employees the day off, closing early, or holding moments of silence. Juneteenth has also been declared a paid holiday for state employees in New York and Virginia. And I specified that the change this year by New York and Virginia is making it a paid holiday for government employees because, in fact, all but three U.S. states already have some form of observance for Juneteenth. Except for North Dakota, South Dakota, and Hawaii, all U.S. states recognize it officially in some way, usually as a day when government offices operate on reduced staff and employees can choose to take the day off as a floating holiday but aren't flat out given the day off. It's kind of like a state-level version of the difference between Flag Day and Memorial Day. Texas was the first state to recognize Juneteenth as a state holiday back in 1980, and many more states followed throughout the 90s and early 2000s. And it's appropriate that Texas would be the first to celebrate what they officially call Emancipation Day, since Texas is where it all began. Quoting Time, on June 19, 1865, two and a half years after Abraham Lincoln signed the Emancipation Proclamation and two months after Confederate General Robert E. Lee surrendered at Appomattox, the Union Army's Major General Gordon Granger reached Galveston, Texas. There, he read aloud General Orders No. 3, quote, The people of Texas are informed that in accordance with a proclamation from the Executive of the United States, all slaves are free, end quote. There are a number of theories as to why the news took two full years to reach Galveston. Quoting again, According to Rashida Harrison, assistant professor of social relations and policy at James Madison College at Michigan State University, the most popular theories involve the idea that there weren't enough union generals who could get over there. White slave owners wanted to maintain hold on enslaved people by not alerting them, and slaveholders wanted to get one more crop out of enslaved folks. Some stories about why it took so long for news to hit are the stuff of legend, such as one that says Lincoln sent a soldier on a mule to ride to Texas spreading the news along the way, end quote. Greg Carr, chair of the Department of Afro-American Studies at Howard University, points out, however, that scenes similar to that in Galveston happened across the South as Union soldiers traveled to deliver the news, and that similar subsequent celebrations happened on various days in various places. But as black Americans moved out of Texas further north and west in search of family they'd been torn away from and to escape the oppression of former slaveholding communities, they took the Juneteenth celebration with them, which helped it spread as the predominant celebration to this day. The push to make Juneteenth a national holiday began in earnest during the civil rights era. At the time of his death, Martin Luther King Jr. had been helping organize the Poor People's March, which would include a solidarity rally in Washington, D.C. on Juneteenth. Quoting again from Time, organized by King disciple Ralph Abernathy, the rally, which boasted more than 50,000 participants, capped off about six weeks during which activists lived in an encampment called Resurrection City to raise awareness of inequality. Wiggins believes that the success of the rally helped inspire participants to host Juneteenth celebrations in their own communities in the years and decades that followed. End quote. Adding Juneteenth to the American calendar was usually a part of the same push to make Martin Luther King Jr. Day a federal holiday, something which didn't officially happen until 1986. Congresswoman Sheila Jackson Lee from Texas, who introduces a resolution every year for national observance of Juneteenth, said, quote, One thing about national holidays, they help educate people about what the story is. Juneteenth legislation is a call for freedom but it also reinforces the history of African Americans. We've fought for this country. We've made great strides, but we're still the victims of sharp disparities. Our neighborhoods reflect that. We've been denied the same opportunities for housing, access to healthcare, and in 2020, during COVID-19, all of the glaring disparities are shown. Because of that, I think this is a time that we may find people who are desirous to understand the history, not necessarily only of African Americans, but the history of America. End quote. Dean Kamen, the inventor of the Segway, is currently working on a massive lab for growing human organs. Lab-grown organs for human transplant is currently lacking in FDA approval, but Dean Kamen thinks eventually the day will come and wants to be prepared. But to back up for a minute... Just in case you forgot, the Segway is that upright, scooter-ish device that is propelled and steered using the tiniest of human movements. It's what Paul Blart rides in Mall Cop. And if you're like me, you may have heard Inventor of the Segway is currently working on and thought, hold on, didn't he die via tragic Segway-related death years ago? No, he didn't. Dean Kamen, the inventor, is alive and well, but sadly, James Helseden, whom Cadence sold the Segway Inc. company to in 2009, did indeed pass away the following year when he fell off a ravine. As he was found with his Segway, he was probably writing it, but no one knows all of the details for certain. But anyways, Dean Kamen has invented a lot of things over the years beyond just the Segway. He holds over 400 US patents. In high school, he invented a wearable infusion pump. Later on, he also invented, quoting one zero, a futuristic prosthetic robotic arm for amputee soldiers, a man cannon that launches SWAT personnel onto a roof, and the slingshot, a purifying machine that brings clean water to villages in developing countries, end quote. And most crucially to the development of the Segway, he also built a special wheelchair that could go up and down stairs and raise the user to be at eye level with people who are standing. The chair uses gyroscopic stabilizers and tilt sensors that would inform the technology Cayman used for the Segway, which he and many movers and shakers of the time, like Jeff Bezos and Steve Jobs, thought would revolutionize transportation. Of course, that never happened and Cayman moved on to continue doing what he does best, inventing. To help the COVID-19 effort, his company has been manufacturing sterile IV bags and developing better mask materials. But his big project is building factories for lab-grown human organs. His team specifically received a grant from the Department of Defense to help wounded soldiers, but advances in organ tech and availability would also help the over 110,000 Americans on the organ transplant waiting list. Quoting Gizmodo, Science is still a ways off from growing organs in a lab. However, Tel Aviv University researchers announced in April 2019 that they were the first to bioprint a human heart. Bioprinting is a process like 3D printing, but instead of using plastic to make a Mandalorian helmet, scientists use biological materials to print an organ. End quote. Many teams around the world are working on bioengineered organs and ligaments, and many of them are now working in collaboration with Cayman's nonprofit, the Advanced Regenerative Manufacturing Institute, or Army. The difference between the existing research and what Army is doing is their emphasis on advanced equipment and an eye for scaling up. Michael Limicky, director of science and industry affairs at the Alliance for Regenerative Medicine, says, "Quote." When you're in this industry and you're thinking about scale, you can't go to Home Depot. It has to be medical-grade materials. What's unique about Army is they're thinking of how you would actually scale the system when it's fully commercialized, end quote. When the day comes that we can reliably bioprint organs for transplants, Cayman wants us to be able to hit the ground running, with factories tripped out to, quote, pump out hearts and kidneys much the same way factories produce smartphones in high-tech assembly lines. If Silicon Valley can do it with semiconductors, he should be able to do it with human tissue, Cayman told 1-0, end quote. I was recently given some procrastination advice that amounted to assessing why you don't want to do something and then fixing that underlying reason. Some of the reasons you're procrastinating might be that you're simply tired or hungry. Maybe you don't have all the tools you need. Maybe you don't feel good enough or think that you won't complete the task well enough. Maybe you even feel like it's not worth your time. Often, we just know that the task itself is going to be a bad experience. Whatever it is, maybe it will be a tough problem to solve or will inevitably take longer than we want. Maybe it's a gross household task that we simply don't like doing. For all those things that you have to do that you just really, really don't want to do, recent studies out of the University of British Columbia suggest the best thing you can do is admit that the task really, truly sucks, and that it's going to suck when you do it. But in acknowledging that, you may be motivated to get it over with more quickly. The studies, quoting Lifehacker, reveal that people tend to complete positive experiences as quickly as possible. And put off negative experiences for as long as possible, which in itself is kind of a no-brainer, but there's a bit of an interesting twist to the story. Quoting directly from Hardesty and Weber's Impatience and Savoring versus Dread, quote: While anticipation of positive events involves positive feelings of savoring, but also negative feelings about waiting, anticipation of negative events involves negative feelings of dread and negative feelings about waiting. End quote. In other words, you get a double dose of negative for negative tasks and events, which is why people don't actually put off negative events or tasks as much as you might think. Quoting Fast Company, "...for example, if you need to break up with a significant other who's in love with you, negative anticipation of the painful conversation will stress you out, so you're likely to do it reasonably soon, just to relieve the stress." Similarly, researchers found that people concerned about not having enough savings for retirement expenses were 43% more likely to jolt into taking action than people simply looking forward to retirement. You don't indefinitely put off a root canal you want to get it over with, but mildly uncomfortable tasks, such as doing taxes or organizing a messy closet, months or years will pass." End quote. So Fast Company extrapolates from the studies, quote, The key to getting tasks off your to-do list is to harness the psychological discomfort of dread, which is negative and unpleasant, and therefore a feeling that most people seek to relieve, end quote. In other words, really lean into how much it will suck instead of trying to tell yourself it's not that bad, and you may be motivated to get it over with as soon as possible. As Lifehacker explains it, quote, "...instead of dealing with the slow drip of negative feelings that you experience every time you hear, for example, the slow drip of that bathroom faucet that you still haven't fixed, you can embrace the fact that you're going to have a whole bunch of negative feelings at once. Frustration, boredom, confusion, the particular feeling that comes with realizing that a task you hoped might only take ten minutes will actually take all afternoon." If you acknowledge that it's going to be dreadful, and here's the important bit, that you're already experiencing that dread every time you think about the upcoming task anyway, you might find yourself motivated to finally cross it off your to-do list. End quote. I think that's probably all much easier said than done, but there's certainly something to it, and at the very least, it gives you an excuse to really complain and exaggerate about how bad something actually is, all in the name of productivity. If you were on Reddit at all last night, you may have witnessed the Rickroll to end all Rickrolls. Yes, it is the year 2020, and people are still Rickrolling. But this one is pretty great, hear me out. So, like Arnold Schwarzenegger and a number of other major celebrities, Rick Astley is a regular Reddit user, and has been posting on the platform an increased amount during lockdown. Astley has been sharing playlists he made, initiatives him and his friends have taken part in, his new TikTok account, and a video of him power washing his garbage bins. Last night, he took to the popular subreddit rpix to share a photo of his 1989 tour that he found while going through old things in his home. In response to the post, Reddit user The Malleable Duck commented, quote, I think I might cry. It's actually you. I met you at a backstage event when I was twelve. Seriously a big fan. I've seen you in concert five times. End quote. The user included a hyperlink on the words backstage event, making it seem like he was linking to an old photo of the two of them. But instead, the link went to, you guessed it, the never gonna give you up music video. And it seems like Rick Astley might have actually fallen for it. Or at least he played along and was a great sport. He replied to the comment simply with the hands clapping emoji. But a few hours later, when logging off from replying to comments in the thread, he wrote quote, thanks for all the love, comments, DMs, etc. And finally, you the malleable duck, I salute you. End quote. And I have to say, the malleable duck really did craft that prank incredibly well. Of course Astley would be tempted to click on a photo of him and a fan from back in the day, especially since the entire main post was about him going down memory lane and looking at old concert photos. The malleable duck additionally made himself seem like a huge fan, saying that he might cry and that he saw Astley in concert five times. I mean, that had to have piqued Astley's interest in wanting to click the link to see the photo. So all around, well done. This might be my favorite Rickroll since my friend Rickrolled her husband in their wedding vows. And I'd say that this epic act will finally mark an end to the Rick rolling trend, but if I'm being honest, I don't think the internet is ever going to give it up. That is all for today. As always, this show was produced by Ride Home Media. I'm Jackson Bird. I hope you have a good rest of your day, and I'll talk to you tomorrow.